Again, if you're in the Bible, um, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 is where we're going to pitch our tent this morning. Um, At the risk of dating myself, I want to start this morning with a couple of questions tied to the childhood memories of a 41-year-old hip-hop head. The first question is this. How many of you watching this morning have heard of the music label Def Jam Records? Def Jam Records. Now, if you've listened to much hip-hop, if you've listened to much soul music, even the hip-hop and the soul music of today, then the chances are high that you have heard of this label. Everybody from Jay-Z to Drake to Neo to DMX have spent some time on or under the Def Jam label. It was co-founded by a man named Russell Simmons, which leads me to the second question I have this morning from a 41-year-old hip-hop head. What famous group was Russell Simmons a part of before founding Def Jam Recordings or Def Jam Records? This is for bonus points, by the way. Ron DMC. Maybe somebody has heard of that. Maybe I'm taking people a little too fast for a Sunday morning and you, if you've never heard of that, don't worry, we won't stick here long. I just want to share a couple of things about Ron DMC. Before Frank Ocean, before Drake, before... Jay-Z and Kanye, there was Ron DMC. Ron DMC was one of my favorite rap groups growing up. In fact, one of my favorite Christmas songs, believe it or not, is a Ron DMC song, Christmas in Hollis. You need to go look it up when you get home, or you're already at home, so go look it up after today's uh, service. But probably my absolute favorite song, Ron DMC song, was a song simply called You Talk Too Much. Simple song. Simple lyrics, you talk too much, and you never shut up. I said you talk too much, homeboy, you never shut up. The song was about gossipers and braggers, people that simply could not or would not stop talking to the obvious irritation of Ron DMC. And we love this song as kids, absolutely love this song. Now, of course, we didn't always love it. If you had the unfortunate moments when kids were singing the song to you, you didn't love it then. And of course, kids sung that song to me, I'm sure, because I talk too much. Nevertheless, the song carried um, an interesting amount of truth in it, and, and, and James, believe it or not, begins to unpack some of that Ron DMC truth in this morning's text. One of James's desires in this letter is to drive his listeners towards Christian maturity and wholeness. We hear this from the very beginning of this letter. As we discussed last week, James, James is called to take all the trials and all the tests in your life and to count them all joy is rooted in this very ideal of Christian maturity. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. It says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James's desire for the church to grow in maturity, and, 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 and it is, and, and, or James's, James desires for the church to grow in maturity, and it is for this reason that he turns his attention from how we suffer to how we communicate because these are two of the most significant marks of Christian maturity in the Christian life. Let me say that again. Suffering and communication are two of the most significant measures of spiritual maturity 
in the Christian life. The discipline of listening is a mark of spiritual maturity. So this morning, I want to talk about four ways that listening reflects spiritual maturity. Number one, listening as a discipline towards neighbor. Number two, listening as a discipline towards God. Number three, listening as a discipline of pure religion. And number four, listening as a discipline of gospel embrace. First, listening as a discipline towards neighbor. James begins his deep dive into spiritual maturity with a a three-step discipline. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, in basketball, there is a skill that is known as the first step. It is the ability for a player to explode quickly from holding the basketball in a three-point position, three-point stance, to dribbling and attacking his opponent's defense. It's an important skill, an essential skill in basketball. In fact, a player's ability to score is made or broken based on the first step. If the player has a bad first step, his his ability to score is reduced significantly. James offers us a first step in Christian maturity and ultimately even Christian spiritual maturity. Quick to hear. If you want an indicator of the maturity of a person, examine their first Step. Do they have a quick first step? Or in other words, are they quick to hear? If you want an indicator of your own spiritual maturity, then examine your first step. Are you quick to listen? Do you have to have the first and last word? Do you always have to respond? Do you always have to have an opinion? Do you struggle not being right? Do you struggle not being in control of the conversation and the narrative? If so, your first step is in need of work. And brothers and sisters, ultimately, so is your spiritual maturity. You know, my wife and I, we counsel couples as it relates to marriage, and oftentimes we ask ask the couples that are facing difficulties um, talking to one another or, or at least engaging one another, we ask a simple question. Do you want to speak or do you want to be heard? What we're asking is, is, are you willing to be quick to listen and slow to speak? You know, while I don't have the time to debate the merits or the, de- or the demerits of cancel culture this morning, I will say this. As we think about cancel culture, On one extreme, we have people that are asking for forgiveness for every inappropriate word without consequences. And on another extreme, we have people that are asking for consequences for every single disagreeable word that's ever been spoken. And it would do the church well to not come down on either one of those sides. There are some things that you say 
or that are said that should disqualify a person in certain fields and certain professions and even from certain privileges. And yet, there are many things that we say that have to be met with far more grace and far less judgment. Now, with that said, many people are having a conversation about cancel culture right now, and it is a necessary conversation to have, but I believe we are doing so while missing and leaving out an important part of the conversation, which is this, James 1 and 19. Now this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. One reason, and let me caveat it by saying it's not the only reason, and maybe not even the biggest reason, but it is one reason that cancel culture exists is because slowness of speech does not. Let me be the first to say that I'm grateful for the First Amendment, but one of the temptations of living in today's First Amendment freedom of speech culture as a Christian is that we have bought the lie that some have sold us that tells us I should feel free to say what I want to say, when I want to say it, where I want to say it, and how I want to say it. Some movements towards canceling someone or something would never have started if we, instead of feeling like we have the freedom to say anything we want whenever we want, if we instead obeyed the word of the Lord and simply were quick to listen, slow to speak. How does this play out in the digital age, in Twitter, in Facebook, in, in Instagram? How does it play out? Well, you are just as responsible for the words you post and type as the words you utter and speak. They are just as much a reflection of your spiritual maturity the words that you post and type as the words that you speak standing face to face in front of a person. As Herman Edwards says, don't press sin. Pressing sin can be the mark of spiritual maturity or the lack of spiritual maturity. Now, notice the chain of events that we, or the chain of actions that we are reading in James chapter, nine, uh, James chapter 1 verse 19. Quick to listen. When we are quick to listen, what happens? By default, we are slow to speak. You are more reflective. You are more uh, contemplative. You are more disciplined with your words. But here's where the chain gets interesting. When we are quick to listen, we are slow to speak. And when we follow the sequence of being slow to speak, we are also what? Slow to anger. Now, we aren't talking about righteous anger here in this text. We aren't talking about anger over injustice or anger over people being victimized and margin, marginalized. We aren't talking about anger over the trampling of vulnerable people. We aren't, we, aren't, we aren't talking about righteous anger. We're talking about unrighteous anger. We're talking about reckless emotion anger. We're talking about irrational anger. We're talking about uninformed and misinformed anger. We're talking about arrogant and prideful anger. That sort of anger, more often than we care to admit, starts with a first or a bad first step. A bad first step. And then look at verse 20. It says, for human anger does not accomplish God's 
righteousness. When have you ever been productive in the midst of that kind of anger? And the answer is, you have not. You have not been productive in that kind of anger. That kind of anger does not produce the kind of righteousness that God desires out of his people. So our first step must be good. We must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. That is a discipline towards our neighbors, the people around us. Now, listening is, again, a worthwhile discipline towards our neighbors, but James is calling us to more than listening simply to be a better neighbor. Remember again James's desire. His desire is to make us more spiritually mature. In other words, James is pursuing the type of listening that makes us look more like Jesus. So in verse 21, he begins to transition from listening as a horizontal engagement, listening as a discipline toward neighbor, to listening as a vertical engagement, listening as a discipline towards God. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Like we discussed a a moment ago, our inability to listen leads to anger. And no matter how much the world tells or tries to tell you otherwise, our inability to listen is usually not a reflection of righteousness, but rather a reflection of sinfulness in our own hearts, which we are at war with. The hearts that are filled with pride and arrogance or the need to be right or hatred of being told what to do. Which is why James in verse 21 takes it beyond anger or our inability to listen leading to anger. And he takes it deeper and he says that our inability to listen leads to unrighteousness of all sorts. Or to say it another way filthiness, and rampant wickedness. How often have you ended up in a situation, a regrettable situation, a sinful situation, and found yourself saying to yourself in that moment, I should have listened to fill in the blank. There are many lost friendships that have come due to a lack of listening. There are many failed marriages that have come due to a lack of listening. There are many men and women who are in prison or even dead due to a lack of listening. You see, the lack of listening leads not just to anger, but it leads to all sorts of unrighteousness. So what is James's solution to this unrighteousness? Listening, but in a deeper way. Again, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. How do we put off righteousness? By receiving the word of God. Not quick to speak our words, not quick to act on our own understanding, but quick to listen to the words of God. James highlights several qualities about God's words in the next couple of verses that we need to pay attention to. The first quality is that the word is the implanted word in James verse 21. The first quality we hear about the word is that, or the first quality that we need to deal with is this ideal of the word being implanted. It gets down in us. 
The word is sown into us and into our hearts. Let me ask you a question this morning. Does God's word live in you? Is it so implanted in you that it is what you usually defer to by default before acting? Are you still too quick to speak your own words? Are you still too slow to listen to God's words when he speaks in his word? How can that change, you ask? James gives us the answer. Receive with meekness the implanted word of God. What does it mean to receive it meekly? It means to receive it with humility. It means to listen with the intent to follow. Listen as if you don't have all the answers. See, one of the qualities of American culture is our refusal to accept authority, even when determined that that authority is to, is, is, is to be obeyed, is, is, is divine even. We can, we can concede that, a, that, a, that an authority is divine or worth listening to and still debate whether or not we'll listen to it. I mean, think about it. Oftentimes, we come to the Word of God as Christians in this country, as just Christians every week. We come to the Word of God, and then we make decisions on which commandments that God gives us that are worthy of our obedience. For some of us, when God calls us to kindness, for example, we say, yes, Lord, because kindness is beautiful and because kindness is honorable. I'll be kind, Lord. But when God calls us to forgiveness, we respond with, but, but wait a second, Lord. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not just going to let people just walk over me. I don't know if I can do that. When God calls us, for example, to help the poor, some of us say, yes, Lord. They are image bearers just like I am, and they are worthy of my attention. But when God calls us to sexual purity reserved for marriage, we say, Lord, that's so outdated. How can you honestly expect me to follow a command like that in this day and in this culture? Or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe you hear sexual purity and your heart resonates and you say, yes, I need to save myself from marriage and that, and that is good and that is right, Lord. But then you hear about helping the poor. You say, well, they don't deserve that. They didn't work as hard as me. However, when we receive the implanted word of God with meekness. It is a word that is in our hearts in such a way where we are no longer trying to wiggle out of what he is calling us to do. We are submitted to it. As the, as the psalmist says, we delight in it. We say to ourselves, I love your word. I love when you instruct me because your words are the words of life. When it's implanted in us, we are quicker to listen to what he says to us versus what we say to ourselves. You see, with meekness, we begin to say, even when we don't feel like it, Lord, whatever you say, that's what I want to do. Help me do what you're asking me to do. And this brings me to the second quality James highlights about the word that needs our attention. The word is implanted, 
and we receive it with meekness, but the word is also perfect. In James verse 25, he gives us this description of the word as the perfect law. You see, part of the reason we aren't quick to listen to God is because sometimes we don't see that law that he gives as perfect. We see it as really good in some places, really helpful in other places in our life. But then there are other places where it's not really helpful to us. Not really good. A little bit outdated. We sometimes find ourselves saying, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, God. It feels a little too restrictive. Or maybe I wouldn't have done it that way, God. It feels a little, it doesn't feel strict enough. Or I don't even see any use for that, God. Or do they deserve that kind of response that you have instructed me to give them, God? We disagree, and so we struggle with how perfect it really is. But saints of God, let me ask you a question. If a perfect God gives an imperfect human his word, why should we expect that word to always be agreeable with us? We should, expect to disagree, we should expect it to disagree with us based on the very fact that it is a perfect word coming to an imperfect people. I mean, if, if an all-knowing God gives a human with limited knowledge his word, why should we expect that word to be agreeable with us on all fronts? We should expect that that word will disagree with us based on the very fact that it is coming from a perfect God and we are imperfect. You know, we sometimes say to ourselves, well, I don't think that's right. <laughs> but how quickly we forget. We're not all-knowing. You don't know everything that's right and everything that's wrong. God defines what is right. God defines what is wrong. Or maybe we say to ourselves, well, I don't think that I would do it that way. Well, guess what? You're not God. God is perfect. We're not. Being quick to listen to God and slow to speak concerning my opinions is an acknowledgement that he knows far more than I do. In fact, that he knows everything, and I'm limited in my knowledge. It's an acknowledgement that he is worthy of following even when I don't understand why I'm following and, 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 what, and what my following is leading to, but he is worthy of it because he is perfect. And just like the prideful, arrogant lack of listening that we described earlier as it relates to uh, our engagement with neighbor, just like it leads to anger and unrighteous action, this meek, humble, Godward listening this acknowledgement that I don't know everything, but you do, so I will listen to you, leads to, an, leads to an action as well. Righteous action. It leads to not just merely listening, but it leads to actually obeying. Hear this in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and uh, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed 
in his doing. See, listening as a discipline towards God leads to obedience. When we listen with meekness, we begin to obey. When we listen as a people that, set, that acknowledges we don't know everything, we begin to obey. When we listen as a people who recognize the law as perfect, then we don't just simply listen, but we begin to apply with action. Our listening, typically when we are, our lack of listening will lead to an action, unrighteous action. But our presence in listening will lead to an action, typically righteous action. And what does that righteous action bring us? Well, it tells us, again, verse 25, it says the perfect law or the law of liberty. What does it bring? It brings freedom. It brings freedom. You know, sometimes we think that we are, we are preserving freedom by sidestepping God's law. When the reality is, is that God's law is the law that gives freedom. Tim Keller offers a great example and illustration on this. He talks about a car. When you first get the car and the car says that you should change the oil every so many thousand miles, or the car's manual says you should change the oil every so many or, or every so thousand miles, and you say to yourself, I don't want to do that. I want to be free. I want to be free to drive as much as I can, as far as I can, as long as I can, wherever I want to go, and I don't ever want to change the oil. And that may seem like freedom, but how much freedom are you really gaining? Not much. Driving for a couple of thousand miles, and it may seem like you've found freedom, but over time, the car will wear down. You know why? Because true freedom is found within the confines that the car was built within. You see, you were built to operate a certain way. And you know, who, you know who understands that more than anybody? God does. God built you to function and work and operate in a certain way. And thus, following his word, though it may seem at times to be restrictive, following his ways are actually allowing you to live in the freedom that you were created and operated to live in. Verse 26, we find the listening as a, as a discipline of pure religion. It says, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself a stain, unstained from the world. There's this theme again, maturity, a healthy, pure, undefiled faith. What does it look like? It looks active. These, there is action in these words that James gives us. There is a holiness connected to my abstaining and, and my acting in this text. There is a type of holiness connected to what I'm not doing and what I am doing in this text. First, there's an external holiness. He says that external holiness is seen in my care for widows and orphans. He declares that this is pure and undefiled religion. 
You see, a heart that has truly been awakened by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit cares more and more about the people who have no one else to care about them or for them. By the way, this text in James is not intended to be an exhaustive list of people to care for. In James' time and, in James's time and even in our day, widows and orphans were two categories, major categories of people who were oftentimes deeply neglected and deeply overlooked. Nevertheless, this is not the whole list of people to care for, but it reveals to us the qualities associated with the people that we should be paying attention to. Basically, James is saying if our faith is growing, our heart will be bent most towards those who have the least amount of people to care for them. The widow, the orphan, the homeless, the poor, the unborn, the asylumed, the struggling immigrant. The more mature in Christ a person becomes, the more their heart is enlarged for those who are perpetually without help for those who are perpetually without a voice. You know, one reason we know this is true Christianity is because it is consistent with the God that we profess to worship. God said in Psalm 68, verse 4 through 5, sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. This is who God is, a father to the fatherless, a protector of the widows. And so this is who we must be if we are to abide in pure and true religion. To take it even a step further, God often promises in Scripture not even to abide in our worship if we carry no concern for the vulnerable around us. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10, it says, um, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God is saying, depart with the rituals if there is no passion for the least among you. Turn down your music if there is no mercy towards the vulnerable among you. A religion with no room for love of neighbor is no religion at all, James is telling us. It is a, a self-deceiving religion. It is a religion that may soothe our conscience but it is void of the life-giving power of God. James is not listening to the world when he says this. He's listening to Jesus. 
This is the holiness that is connected more to my acting than my abstaining. But there is a holiness that is connected to my abstaining, which is the second half of this pure religion that James refers to, pure personal holiness. He says abstaining from the world is a part of pure religion. My integrity before watching God, my pursuit of sexual purity that that leads to me reserving sexual acts for the marriage bed only, my pursuit of social purity that leads to me refraining from lying and cheating and stealing and gossiping and fighting and greediness. The Apostle John says plainly, do not love the world. That means do not be governed by the world's ways. The Apostle Paul tells us plainly that the works of the flesh are sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and so forth and so on. Again, like the pursuit of external holiness, we know the pursuit of internal holiness is true Christianity because it is consistent with the God that we profess to worship. Oftentimes, God would connect personal holiness, sexual purity, or sexual immorality, and unholiness to idolatry. He would connect the two. He would talk about in Isaiah, for example, that, that, that their idolatry as they went up to the mountain to worship other gods was connected also to their sexual immorality. Again, our pursuit for holiness in our bodies and outside of our bodies is a concern to God. James says religion that carries no concern for these things is worthless religion. Now, here's a question worth asking. Does this have any connection to listening and speaking? And James says, yes, he connects the two. He says in uh, verse 26, in verse 27, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What is not pure and undefiled religion? Being slow to listen and being quick to speak. What is pure and undefiled religion? Personal internal holiness coupled with social external holiness. So here's where the connection between the two exists. Remember, quick to listen and slow to speak is not just a quality for how we engage one another, but it's a quality for how we engage God in his word. Carrying a willingness to let him speak. The man or woman who desires to speak over God and have their opinions heard in place of God is also the man or woman who will reject the holiness that God calls us to. In fact, you see this play out in clear ways, many ways, even the ways in which we play and engage in politics. Notice that the two things God calls pure religion in this text are two things that oftentimes in politics they try to pit against one another. You have one group on one side that that puts attention on personal morality and sexual ethics. It has less attention on social morality and, and the engagement of the poor. And then you have the other group on the other side that puts attention on social morality and engagement of the poor and puts less attention on personal morality and sexual ethics. And Christians jump 
uh, and get washed up into all of these opinions and get swayed on one side or the next. And then we begin to speak without letting the perfect word of God shape our speech. And we begin to listen more to these political platforms than our biblical standards. We speak over God's wisdom. We become quick to speak and slow to listen to God. We speak with man's wisdom, wisdom, and as a result, we ignore one part of pure religion in favor of another or vice versa. This is why we must be quick to listen to God and be slow to speak our political opinions without Scripture. Lastly, listening as a gospel discipline. Verse 21, James 21, it says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, listen, which is able to save your souls. The discipline of listening is not only about rightly engaging our neighbor and not only even about growing in spiritual maturity as it relates to our relationship with God, but the discipline of listening goes all the way back to our salvation. We are saved. Because we were quick to listen and slow to speak. Jesus declares in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And then the sand, and then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus says, when you hear my words and you actually listen and you apply, then your foundation will be sure. When God tells you that in order for a man to be saved, he must, he must confess his sins, and he must trust God. Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He must repent. He must turn from his way and turn to Jesus. He must say, you are Lord. You are master. I walk and follow you. No longer do I follow my own ways. When he says, when he says those words, when he calls us, then the discipline of listening and hearing and obeying is the means and the tools by which God brings salvation to the hearts of men. And so I pray this morning that you are pondering and considering how can I better listen? How can I be quick to listen, not only in my salvation, but in my growing maturity in my growing relationship with my Lord and Savior, in my growing relationships with the neighbors around me. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is the discipline of the Lord. 